0: Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts, where we serve up slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. I'm the host, Ryan Akers, and I want to thank you for listening to this program. This season on Simmering Thoughts, we are looking at discipleship. Specifically, we're looking at how the book of James helps guide someone on a discipleship journey. How are we shaped by the text? How does the text challenge us and move us forward toward growth in Christ? So sit back, settle in, and enjoy this episode of Simmering Thoughts. That's right. Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts. I'm your host, Ryan Akers. And today, as we continue our uh, journey through the book of James, we're going to be looking at chapter two. Uh, we're going to look at the, just the first 13 verses of that chapter. And I am joined today uh, by Jordan Stefaniak, who is uh, the one of the co-founders of the London Lyceum, among other projects. And uh, I'm really thrilled to have him on. He and I, we were just talking about how long we've been on Twitter, and it's almost the same amount of time. He's actually survived longer on there than I have a little bit, and uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, And we have interacted quite a bit, especially over the last few years, and I've really enjoyed all of our interactions, Uh, and I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Uh, And so, Jordan, if you could go ahead and introduce a little bit more about yourself, and then we'll jump in.
1: Sure. So, like you mentioned, got a myriad of projects that I am participating in, whether that's the London Lyceum stuff or my normal day job doing sort of like business analytics and technology related stuff. Or I also uh, work a little bit on the side with Southeastern Seminary here mm-hmm. in uh, Wake Forest, North Carolina. So, I'm right outside Wake Forest um nearby, so I'm able to participate in things there, which is a lot of fun. A lot of cool people are there. And then I've got a wife with uh, two kids and one on the way. So we'll have three here starting in July. So that will be uh, our Very quick. Yeah. Moving from the man on man to zone defense. We'll see how that, <laughs> how that goes for us. I don't know, <laughs> but
0: we're excited. We still have him outnumbered. We just have the one child. So yeah, we're, we're able to uh, overwhelm a little bit. So. I understand how that is different because I'm used to the classroom when it's one on 12 right now, yeah. my biggest class. And, and before that I had one on 60 at times with, with bands. So, uh, it's quite fun when you get outnumbered, you have to have to work a little differently. So, yeah. well, I, I hope that, uh, all goes well in delivery and, and that process. Cause I know it's, uh, fraught with its own dangers and, uh, looking forward to to seeing pictures on Twitter at some point we'll see. <laughs>
1: You know, originally, I feel like when I first got on Twitter, it was just like, you know, you would talk about your day or mm-hmm. very mean, like mundane things. So maybe part of the reason we've survived so long is because we remember what it used to be like, Yeah, <laughs> where yeah. basically what all of our grandparents do on Facebook now, that's what we were all doing on Twitter <laughs> when we first started.
0: And I still do a lot of that. That's That's a lot of my content. It's just the day to day. I wish I wish a few more folks would do that it would humanize us a little bit more on there wouldn't it Oh yeah <laughs> well with, with 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 Twitter fully in mind uh we're going to dive into James 2 uh and we are looking at this from the the light of discipleship in particular I'm going to read uh the 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 uh, 13 verses uh and this is out of the CSB for those that are following along it says my brothers and sisters do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, go stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those that love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law, yet stumbles at one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you're a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy mercy triumphs over judgment there's a whole lot we could dig into uh and kind of the the this is really centered around interactions interpersonal interactions and relationships and so with that in mind uh what are some of the things that stand out to you as far as uh discipleship through this passage
1: yeah i mean there's like you mentioned a significant amount of material that you could cover in discipleship relationships in here. I mean, you could spend a good amount of weeks just thinking through some of the practical implications of what it looks like to not show favoritism to others. And given how the world has changed over the last five, 10, 15 years, even there is a lot of confusion over what that favoritism looks like and amounts to. Um, is it favoritism for me to be, you know, a, a male and to interact in this way with another male or with a, a female? There's just all sorts of questions that come up from that. How do how do I handle my relationship with other people in day-to-day yeah. life, at my job, in my own local church? How does that really function? James doesn't give you a list of answers. He doesn't say here here are the fifteen things you can do. Here is the James one one rule. here's the James One two rule. you know, don't use window tint on your on your cars, <laughs> you know windows if you have somebody in your car like he doesn't give you really specific answers, but he is uh quite clear with examples of what it looks like to show favoritism. Mm-hmm. And I think that can still be useful to think. Okay, somebody who's wearing nice clothes—you you, in their context, I even in our context. I mean, if I'm sitting at a, a group event and somebody who comes in who looks really wealthy, I think there's there's going to be an impulse to treat this person different than the homeless man who comes in. Yeah, um, I, I think that's a universal intuition across the board where people are just naturally given to wanting to favor somebody over somebody else because of some external factor like this. Mm-hmm. So think about your own context. I mean, if I'm in a discipleship relationship, I'm examining my own context. Like what, where do you work? Where do you live? Who do you interact with on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. What are the, the places that you're most tempted to potentially show favoritism to one person or another person? And then to begin to examine to understand, am I showing favoritism here or not? Because you may not be. Maybe you are subconsciously, and those are the things that you need to ask the Lord to to reveal to you. That you allow the Spirit to convict you in the areas that you are ultimately showing favoritism in. I, I mean, I'm not the the legalistic guy who says you like because sometimes in our Christian churches there can be a tendency to overcorrect. where you feel like you have to look at every single little i and t and make sure it's not even possible that there is an unintended consequence somewhere like relax (laughs) (laughs) ask the the lord to to reveal it to you and then you know just uh those areas you think you're showing favoritism in um ask for you know forgiveness and and repent in those areas so i mean it it doesn't that's a long-winded way of saying james doesn't give us like 10 black and white rules Right. He gives us sort of an example of what it looks like, and then he gives you a general sort of rule like "love your neighbor as yourself." Right. Um, so the I think the idea here is use wisdom in your own context and apply it to your own context to understand what it, was it looked like for me to love my neighbor as myself, and that means loving every single neighbor that's here in an equal way, not in a way that is, I don't know. Y- in our current context, equality of uh, opportunity is looked at as like not fundamentally what you, you need to have, like a quality of, of outcome. Right. And, I, the, you know, they come up, with, there's different terms for that, uh, equity versus equality versus justice, whatever. I don't really want to get into all those sort of things. But I think yeah. it seems here, James's biggest push is looking at you and how you're treating others, not necessarily like the ultimate end result. For making sure it's not like, oh, the poor man doesn't have the rich man's clothes. Let me go take the rich man's clothes off of him and put them on the poor man. Um, maybe that's something that you need to work out in your own context and say, look, dude, you've got like six coats in your car. Like, why don't you give one to the poor man? <laughs> but the focus and intention here is on your own actions toward others and making sure that you're not over caring for somebody that and under caring for somebody else, if that makes yes. sense,
0: absolutely. It's it's one of the things that's that kind of draws me to James more and more uh, over the years is that that it isn't a strict yes or no. It's it's very much uh, as you're reading Proverbs, where you have to apply and you have to use wisdom, uh, as you pointed out. That it it's not a straight straight list. It's it's a you have to be aware. And I, I also noticed that he he deals with love your neighbor as yourself, but he says nothing about how your neighbor deals with you. Yeah. And so that's like irrelevant to the entire discussion that that doesn't even play in uh, on the front end of it. You know, you're just love your neighbor as yourself right off the top. Uh, And that's a that's a heavy challenge uh, when you consider uh, some of the things that that the early disciples are going through and yet they're saying love your neighbor as yourself well that neighbor might be the one that's got a stone in their hand ready for your head and so now what does that look like? And as you think through, you know, the the first chapter as as he points out that we're gonna go through trials. And then he tells you to love your neighbors, there's there's no there's no disconnect between those two thoughts. They're they're in the, in, in the they're carefully, there we go, carefully connected, uh, so that we are preparing for those those worst case scenarios where somebody isn't doing well. And this this is a, a you know a scenario that is across cultures. The one he provides with the the rich man versus the poor man. It doesn't matter what culture you're in, something like that is going to happen to you, probably on a, a weekly or monthly basis at the worst. Uh, and and this could happen in the in the street. It could happen. Uh, in the grocery store for us, it could happen in a, a church setting. And where he continually calls us, uh, not just to the the little point of the law with love your neighbor as yourself, but then he drops the whole law on top of us uh, with the the uh, the the point of if you break one part of it, it's all done.
1: Yeah, so I, I want to draw out two more things in this as I think about it, and as what you were saying here. I think our hearts are naturally inclined to be legalistic. Mm -hmm. And so we want to have like a simple list of rules that just gives us the black and white stuff so that we can kind of like police others actions, uh, not have to use our brains and then be able to check out for whatever else isn't on the list. I think that's a, a bad way to think about things. James, like we've mentioned, calls us to wisdom. And not necessarily just like here's rule A, here's rule B, here's rule C. I guess I should use numerals one, two, three, four. But that I I think that's a big thing to look at. And then there's a, another aspect as we look at James of not allowing the idea of favoritism to mean that we can't have friends. Right. Like it doesn't mean you can't have a best friend. Doesn't mean that you can't you know prefer to hang out with somebody else. I mean obviously if you if you're married to somebody there there is virtue in privileging their wants and needs over somebody else your own children there is that is a virtuous right thing to do to privilege their their needs over mm-hmm. somebody else so it, it's not a simplistic like just everybody gets the exact same thing from you mm-hmm. the idea is depending on the context showing favoritism When there shouldn't be any favoritism. I think everybody intuitively gets this. If like this dinner party or whatever, if everybody's coming in, they're all invited to the dinner party and you decide arbitrarily or based upon external sort of factors, not actual normal factors. It's not like there's an ottered seat next to me. If my wife's there, my wife gets that seat. It's not like, well, oh, well, this wealthy person comes in, I'm going to sit them there. Right. Or you know, or the poor man comes in, sits down. Then you see somebody of greater respect comes in and you say, well, you need to move over and stand over there. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, it's not saying don't have friends. It's not saying don't treat others with uh, privilege of some sort, because I think that is traditional Christian belief is to, to love your family more <laughs> than others. But that doesn't mean uh, so that... I think that's an important distinction to, to to parse out as you're thinking about this. So it doesn't eliminate all distinctions. It doesn't eliminate um, rightful uses of of potential partiality. It's supposed to rule out the negative forms of favoritism. So it's not just like this simplistic wooden across the board in every circumstance sort of thing. You have to use wisdom and to understand the different contexts
0: and how they work. That that applied wisdom is the is the hard part of all of it, uh, in the Christian walk. We there's so many things that are that open point that we have to take the wisdom, uh, and and I, the verse verse twelve kind of covers us. speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. You're free to do this right. You're not stuck in society's ideas because in some cases society expects us to judge the poor man harshly and the rich man well. And, and we're given freedom to go beyond that uh, and not to fall into those, those patterns. Oh, thought I had hit a weird button there for a minute. I lost track of what I was doing. Uh, my dog is is over there digging a hole in the couch right now, I think. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we, uh, you know, as we're, as we're walking out that freedom in the Lord, uh, the idea of mercy being tied to favoritism, that we're to give mercy to the poor man is a step that is is beyond uh, what our societies, and this is historical, I don't really care what society you're in, it goes beyond uh, what societies have seen over the years, that we're to give mercy to all of those that we come into contact with uh, is a distinctly Christian way of approaching that kind of relationship. And I think it's something that, it, you know, as you first learn, as you're first learning how to walk in discipleship, uh, we don't really understand how to do that. And it takes uh, time and practice kind of to uh, build that up. So, uh, with that kind of thought in mind, what are some things that we can draw out of this that can help us build that time and practice?
1: Oh, man you know it's it's difficult to give those sort of like specific instances or examples right but i mean as, as i think about these sort of texts and developing sort of a habit of mind that helps you to love your neighbor appropriately and to not show favoritism i mean some of the i i i'm pretty boring so i tell <laughs> you memorize parts of the bible i mean memorize the sermon on the mount um i tell you to like just attend church <laughs> I, t- I tell you to pray regularly um and i would say if you do those sort of practices spiritual practices whatever you want to call them um then the lord will work through his spirit to to form you in the the ways of his like kingdom you're going to suddenly find yourself not showing favoritism in the ways that you would have previously and you know our lives are a a journey of maturity and growth and so to some degree a lot of that is just naturally um born out of growing as a christian over time it's not as if you're gonna i mean everybody kind of like grows at uneven levels Mm-hmm. But there is a sense in which if you're a Christian 10 years later, you can look back and say, I've grown as a Christian. So there's some just trust and knowing knowledge that God's going to use his ordinary means to slowly get me to the end destination. So I like to encourage people and say, look, it, it doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be, you don't have to go to a concert. You don't have to have like a, a an ascetical prayer life where you 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 fast every single day. And you, for 40, and then you fast for 40 days, every, you know, however so. Like, it doesn't have to be like that um, to know that God is going to grow you. He gives us these sort of like very ordinary, very earth earthy ways of growing, being a member of a church, worshiping together, praying, reading the Bible, memorizing it, and ultimately just watching the Lord work in your life. So I, I don't have any fancy answers for what it looks like, really, other than just, Read your Bible and pray. That sounds lame yeah. Um, but I think it's honestly that is the way that the Lord really fundamentally is working in us.
0: Yeah. Well, that's kind of is a callback into uh chapter one with letting the word uh uh humbly receive the word implanted in you. Uh that that as we as we're sitting under the word, these things will naturally start to take place. I think some of it's also to not run away from it. Uh, it's really easy uh, to see a, a a warning like this, and then to run away from situations where you might have to get involved with it. Uh, I think so often as, and this isn't the only type of behavior, the favoritism type behavior, isn't the only type of, uh, sinful opportunities we have that it's so much easier for us to try to run away from the scenario rather than to persevere in the scenario. Um, and, and we catch ourselves so easily, um, in trying to to be away from all the temptation, rather than the Lord taking the temptation out of us, uh, which is you know that's the the sign that you're being sanctified is that you're not you're not drawn into the the modes of thinking that are going to carry you into sin. Uh, and that, and you're right that it's those ordinary means that get us uh, to the point. It's the the part of the reason that some folks don't come to church is because They've seen favoritism take place, and they've seen uh, hypocrites in the in the church, and so they're like, uh, "Not doing that." But that's the very place we need to be because it's the 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 kind of a crucible in which we're purified.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the idea that uh, I don't want to go to church because there's hypocrites there. I'm like, <laughs> where are you going to go that doesn't have yeah. hypocrites? <laughs> uh, they're everywhere. No matter where you go, they are everywhere. If you Mm -hmm. want to get rid of, get away from the hypocrites, then like, there's no, like, you can't, that's, that's a fundamentally flawed game. What I think (laughs) is interesting about this, this passage though, uh, that I don't think is drawn out a lot is that very last phrase there in verse 13, Mm -hmm. where it talks about mercy triumphing over judgment. Now, I think this is interesting because if you look back at the history of interpretation, just in general, of the the divine attributes and who God is, you're going to get a significant emphasis on the fact that while mercy and wrath and judgment are not like, they're not actual attributes of God. They're sort of like a- external actions. There is a sense in which God has more mercy than he has judgment. He has more mm-hmm. mercy than he has wrath. And there's a, just a, a tilt in the Christian tradition to say mercy is greater than all these other things. And so it's a reminder to us, I think, is to always, in any circumstance, in any in any scenario that we're in, taking a step back and saying, I'm going to lean on mercy. And you know what? Maybe I'm too kind. Maybe I'm too generous. That, in my opinion, is the right way to lean. I understand that there is all sorts of temptations today. When you look around at all the stuff that goes on in our culture to say, Today is my time to be strong, and to be courageous, and to fight for what I I I believe is right. But I think the scriptures are pretty clear that it's not a just a it's not a well fined balance like Thanos would have, where you're just right here in the middle. <laughs> yeah. There is a sense in which that mean is tilted towards mercy and gentleness. That doesn't mean being a coward. That doesn't mean being a doormat. Right. But it does mean. Uh, I think consciously thinking, how can I be more most merciful in this situation? And so wherever we're at, when you're thinking about partiality or favoritism or whatever, you know, if you're reading the KJV, I don't know what word they might use in the KJV, <laughs> um, something very sophisticated for, for favoritism, <laughs> I'm sure. But in those situations thinking, how can I show mercy and kindness to others? because um, we are all transgressors of the law. We're all hypocrites. We're all failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all seeking to keep the law and to love our neighbor as ourselves, And yet um, we, in those times we fail, we should look to have mercy. So even if I'm not the one showing favoritism, I see my brother showing favoritism or my sister showing favoritism. Uh, as I seek to restore them, I am going to do it in a spirit of gentleness
0: and mercy. That sounds familiar. I think I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> <laughs> it bubbles right out of Galatians, doesn't it? One of the things that crossed my mind as as you were saying that is is the parallel between love your neighbor as yourself and mercy triumphing over judgment. Because what is it that we desire in in being loved, and that is that that mercy is given to us. And, you know the the tie between love your neighbor as yourself and the perfection called for by the law, and then the mercy that comes uh, and overcomes judgment. It's really hard to tear those things apart. So I guess uh, maybe as we wrap up, we can we can pull away from the idea necessarily of relationships and uh, take a little spin through uh, how we deal with the law. Uh, one of the analogies that I use with my my teenagers in youth group, and I've used it in sermons a couple of times because it just works, is that the law is very much like a pane of glass and the whole law is written on the whole pane of glass it's not like there's little subparts or anything and once you throw the rock through the glass it's broken and i've seen a lot of really cool glass over the years but i've never seen anybody who could take broken glass and then meld it back together to where it's perfect again there's there's always going to be something wrong with it uh and so you know when we when we look at what this says about the law and the standard the law has Man, that's a, a, a hefty standard that we're to love our neighbor as ourself to that level and that this is part of that law. Uh, and, 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 you know, as you read Christ's words, it's almost the law that covers the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, maybe we can we can look at, you know, first of all, the, the mercy that we're to have to ourselves uh, in that, in understanding where we stand before the law, uh, but also yeah. applying the law.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you see quite clearly there even in verse 9, James doesn't mince words. If you've done this, you you've sinned. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no there's no beating around the bush. He is forthright in his language. He's clear, he's direct. And so that is one use of the law is to convict us as sinners, is to to sh- show us, uh, you know, compared to this white sheet saying, "Look, you've got spots all over." Quite clearly, you're not sinless. There, There is no one who could look at uh, some, like, I don't know, muddy, trashed up thing and saying, look, that's perfect. You know what, my pastor, the illustration he always gave when I grew up was this idea of an omelet. You make an omelet and somehow, uh, you know, like a, a, what is it, rotten egg gets put in your omelet. Are you going to eat that omelet? And you're going to say, well, no, because the one rotten egg ruined everything. Well, you'd say, well, no, 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 there was there was six good eggs in there. Well, that doesn't matter. You're still not going to eat it because you put that one rotten egg in there. That's sort of like how uh, one transgression infects and destroys the whole thing. But the law is not just used for conviction of our sins. It's also used as a sort of teacher and a tutor in the school of grace. Mm -hmm. And so you find that, uh, that usage, particularly that language, especially in Galatians, where the law is sort of like a a schoolmaster. Now it it functions covenantally as a schoolmaster in redemption history, where God was working with the people of Israel before uh, the incarnation of Christ. And he's using the law to, to prepare them fundamentally for the coming of Christ. But it's also even in our own Christian faith It still serves as an enduring tutor and teacher Mm -hmm. of how to live the Christian life rightly. No longer is it a harsh taskmaster. I think of like a boarding school where they're just very angry. Like these images of the movies that I've seen in my life where there's just like, if you go to a boarding school, they're like mean. I've never seen Harry Potter, I'll confess, but I feel like (laughs) there's probably some mean person in that uh, taskmaster of some sort,
0: a few of them, and,
1: and <laughs> that's what it is like before you become a Christian. But once you become a Christian, you still have a teacher, this law in your life, and but it's it's fundamentally shifted its purpose. No longer is it driving you to conviction of sin and to failure. Now it's helping to guide you in your own Christian faith, and this is. Like if you're like theology nerd, they call this the third use of the law. They give these three different uses. And the main idea is that the law isn't useless for the Christian. Right. It's not as if it's only useful for the non-Christian. It still has enduring use, though its end goal is not the same for the Christian because we we have no condemnation if we're right. in Christ.
0: And it's uh, one of the things I think that, that Galatians lays out the concept for us really well. And as you move into James, he kind of gives you the, the, the practical end, how it works out with that. Yeah. Uh, and if you're looking forward a, a little bit into, into chapter four, that's kind of what he does. He holds up the law and says, do you see all this? Uh, you know, these are the, why is it that you're not being blessed? Why is it that you're not enjoying the life that you should have? Why is it that you're covetous towards others? Why is it that you're uh, quarreling with others? And he just like lays it all down for you. But then as you get to the end, he says, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, and then re-humble yourself. But it does it in a way that is calling you to that repentance uh, and and reminding you of what the, the standard is, but at the same time, not taking his finger and shoving it right in your eyeballs necessarily. It's a self-examination type thing. Uh, and at the end of that, he gets into the law. Um uh, where in a, in a way and deals with the the concept of the law in a way that that would really be nice to pick it up from chapter 4 and drop it right here in the middle of chapter 2 that you know when we uh judge others with this when we're using the law to judge somebody else well it's being used also with us and if you sit over the law now you're making yourself the judge and that's kind of what's happening with the the partiality situation at the beginning of the chapter i think that's kind of how we got into the law conversation at the at the middle of the chapter um and and having that uh humility before the law knowing where we stand in front of it, it helps us be merciful toward others you know as we realize what the lord has done toward us that's merciful that should well up in us to be merciful towards others yeah that's good is there anything, uh, anything else that sticks out to you? I mean, I've, we've kind of been focused on those two little things. Are there any other things uh, that you see in there? Or maybe I could ask this question. This is a question I use a lot uh, and, and feel free to take up whichever direction you want to go. But uh, one of the the questions i like to ask is where is a spot in your life where you have struggled in this particular uh, area that the passage is dealing with, whether it's specifically as you looked through this area or, Outside of that, so
1: I will say first, what jumps out at me is just the sort of like countercultural wisdom that we can find here in ancient scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, where today we're 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 working with all sorts of questions related to favoritism and, and how that all plays out, and yet we have here in the Bible this just great wisdom and how to think about these things that can be applied to our own context. So don't discount what you can find in the Bible. Uh, there's super relevant, important, and, and, and insightful stuff that's sitting there uh, right for the taking. As far as where have I been challenged in, in favoritism? I a good question. I mean, I think there's always a temptation in and it's different in different contexts to show favoritism. And, and it, sometimes it's not even malicious. And sometimes it's just, it's how we are, you know, we're sinners we're and we're hardwired to to want to have the, we want to have people like us. Yeah. You know, uh, it can be as simple as that. You're in a situation, you want people to like you. And so you treat different people you think that matter more than others differently because you want them to like you. Right. I mean, it, it can be real... <laughs> normal um that that's not unique in any sense i i mean you could think if you're in a job context and your ceo walks in versus you know your colleague and yep. maybe your colleague was sitting there and you treat your ceo differently yep. um now there's some aspects that yes you should have some respect for your ceo that you might not have for your colleague i get that but there is also an underlying like you should still treat everybody with the same level of respect yeah <laughs> and not show favoritism so it just depends on the context depends on the situation but this is a normal thing that everybody i think encounters um wherever you're at wherever you're doing and i think it does often james gives the the sort of like economic difference i don't think people realize how frequently we treat others differently based upon their economic status or perceived economic status yes. And so being aware of that and being willing to, to challenge yourselves to, to not allow that to color how we treat other people is a really challenging word.
0: It definitely is. I'm going to use that as a, a, a spot we can stop for the day. Uh, I want to say, Jordan, thank you so much for being on today. It's been a, a wonderful to have you on. It's a, an honor that you would join us for this and uh, look forward to uh, having some more interactions with you as we go on
1: cool thanks ryan
0: all right everybody we hope you have a great week and that the lord is uh, a blessing to you as we go through the week thank you for listening to this episode of simmering thoughts you can find us online with your favorite social media at twitter facebook and instagram you can also email us at simmering at gmail.com We'd love to hear your thoughts on these episodes. With that in mind, if you enjoyed what you heard, please go to your favorite podcast catcher and like and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.